first reading? Yes. Uh, the first reading is uh, from Daniel, chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. <clears throat> in the first year of Darius, Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us general disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your holy city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear our prayers and petition of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. 
For your sake, O oh my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Our Gospel reading is from Luke, chapter 1, verse 46, which you can find on page 1026. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thank you both for our very contrasting readings. Lord, I pray that you will be in my words and in our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you may remember that back at the end of September, I preached about prayer. About praying, uh, as I said then, uh, frequently and boldly and expectantly. At that time, we introduced to St. Giles two new ideas relating to prayer. First of all, the monthly prayer notes that come out in the first week of every month, um, what we've called um, the prayer week in our, um, our monthly cycle, if you like, uh, in which there's a particular emphasis in uh, our church body and our church life on prayer, with our first priority prayer meeting on the first Sunday evening of every month too. And the intention of these prayer notes is that they may help us all in our prayer lives and encourage each one of us to spend more time in God's presence. And to do that as well in a way that uh, I hope is uh, structured and is focused on, uh, on, on, uh, on, on the specifics of that particular uh, month's set of notes. And that, that's, that helps you to pray well. 
There are still uh, a few copies of January's notes at the back if the, if the nine o'clockers haven't swiped them all. Um, so do please grab one of those uh, if you would like, or if there aren't any left uh, by the end of the service, do come a- and have a word with me, and I'll happily uh, give you a copy. Or, in fact, they're also on the uh, front page of the church website. Uh, you can click through to a link there as well. And secondly, in addition to the prayer notes, uh, this was the time that we shared with you all the idea of forming a prayer triplet, uh, or a small group of a couple, or four, or ideally three people. In many cases, complementing the home groups that you're already in, uh, and which on uh, a relatively small scale so far, I think, um, seem to be going well from what I've heard, which is great. Um, fantastic that um, some of you have uh, come together and formed those small prayer groupings. Again, if any of you are interested in, in forming one of them, uh, do come and have a word with me or perhaps with Katie, uh, Katie Conley uh, afterwards, who, uh, who helps on the, on the prayer and, uh, and the home group side of things too. We'd be delighted to, to try and put you in a prayer triplet if that's something you're really interested in. But their purpose is similarly to strengthen us in our prayer life and to enable us to support and encourage each other, both as we pray together in those small groups when we meet uh, and also when we individually engage in our daily prayers between those prayer triplet meetings. So that was uh, September. And now today, uh, we're starting a three-part preaching series on prayer, in which we'll be looking in a bit more depth at some different types of prayer, and also how we, how we may pray in different ways. Perhaps praying both in reaction to different situations, uh, but also praying proactively, taking the initiative with God, uh, taking his initiative into our lives and into the world around us. And over the next couple of weeks after today, uh, Lee and Peter Watkins will be speaking about uh, some areas of our prayer life, such as giving thanks to God, interceding for others listening to God as we pray uh, and petitioning God. Uh, that's a technical way of, uh, of saying asking God for help. But today I'm going to be giving a brief overall introduction to the series and then sharing with you about um, two of the fundamental types of prayer. And those are adoration and confession. So when we talk about prayer, about a prayer life, what is it that we mean? There are endless definitions of prayer, of course, uh, almost all of which reflect the individuals who offer those definitions to us. Being a good Anglican, I've uh, gone some uh, and done some, uh, some digging and I found what three past and present Archbishops of Canterbury have said uh, about prayer. Michael Ramsey, who was Archbishop in the 1960s and early 70s, describes prayer very gently, I think. He says it is the keeping of a little time in the conscious awareness of one who is friend as well as creator and saviour. 
There's a real intimacy to that picture that he gives us. On the other hand, Rowan Williams, uh, who uh, is perhaps a rather cerebral, uh, intellectual uh, former archbishop, says that prayer is not one little bit of Christian activity, set apart from uh, the rest of our Christian life, but it's that space in our lives where something about God and something about ourselves comes into a slightly clearer focus. And as I shared back in September, our current Archbishop, Justin Welby, has said that for him, prayer is simply sitting before God and allowing him, through Jesus, to shape who we are. It's a more active, a more transformational definition which focuses on the power of prayer to bring about change. Finally, and perhaps most radically, the uh, very influential Swiss theologian Karl Barth, who was very strongly influenced by the resistance of many in the church uh, to first Nazism and then communism. He declared that To clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Four very different definitions. I don't know which you relate to most closely. But I think it's clear for all of them that prayer is an activity that is profoundly relational. It's about encounter between each one of us And with the person of God. It's growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the good news is that we can all grow in this. In fact, Rowan Williams is particularly self-effacing when he he talks about his prayer life. Uh, He uh, is very open and honest and he says that we all, uh, he included, feel that our prayer life isn't as good as anybody else's and and there's, there's always more that we can do and that comes from an Archbishop of Canterbury. So we're in good company if we feel that way about our prayer life relative perhaps to, to those around us. I know certainly I feel that I don't spend enough time praying and I would like to pray more and pray better, if you like. It's completely normal as well, I think, uh, to find that at times perhaps when especially we may feel ourselves to be far away from God or that he appears not to be listening to us. That praying can be difficult It's entirely appropriate for us to say, I need help with how to pray. After all, the disciples, all uh, but one of whom went on to do great things for God. They asked the most direct question to Jesus on precisely this question. In Luke 11, we read that as Jesus finished praying in a certain place, one of the twelve came up to him. And he asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. It's perhaps when we think of prayer as a relationship with God 
that it becomes clearer to us for this relationship to work well that we have to be in a good place relative to the God with whom we wish to speak. If we think about uh, when we want to have an important conversation, perhaps with our spouse or uh, our child, with a close friend, or even with a colleague at work, we know how important it is that the background to that conversation, the atmosphere, if you like, in which we want that to happen, that that is good. It's very much the same in our prayer lives. That's not to say that uh, when we're in the midst of a crisis or there is um, chaos all around us, we can't um, cry out to God in prayer. Absolutely, we can do that. And he hears us just the same. But when we approach God to ask him for something or we pray for someone to be healed or uh, even when we want to thank him for something, in a structured way. It's entirely appropriate that first of all, we set ourselves up to pray well. That we get ourselves in a good and a right posture in relation to God. And this takes two forms. Adoration, which is all about him. And confession, which is all about about us it's important to say that adoration is not some sort of strategy to manipulate God God doesn't somehow need us to flatter him if you like in order that he'll listen better to what we're going to say to him adoration is an attitude that contextualizes what we are going to say to him what we are going to ask of him our second reading this morning from Luke's gospel uh, perhaps familiar to us uh, particularly over the recent Christmas season is perhaps the most extraordinary example in the whole of the Bible of adoration Not that uh, there aren't many good examples too in the Psalms. Go and have a look there as well. But Mary's song of praise to God, having just become pregnant with the infant Jesus and having just joyfully met as well her relative Elizabeth, who is similarly expecting a child. Mary's song of praise to God is a remarkable thing. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. She starts her praises. From the very inmost part of her being, she praises the Lord, lifting her voice to declare the character and the acts of God. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The Lord is mighty. The Lord is holy. He does remarkable things. Mary praises God. She comes before him in a position of adoration for its own and for his own sake. And we, when we pray, are called to do the same. 
God loves it when we spend time in his presence. And as amazing as it may seem, we actually minister to God himself when we join together in adoration of him. It's praise for praiser's own sake, but it also places us in a posture before God in which we're in awe of him, of all that he is, his majesty, his glory, and all of the extraordinary things that he does. And in doing so, in recognising God's power and his love and his mercy and grace, we then move on to the rest of our prayers in an attitude of increased faith, of increased hope, of greater expectancy and greater trust in the revelation of who he is and what he can do. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia stories, said that in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. That's great, isn't it? That that prayer can be enjoyable in this way. Adoring God, glorifying God is a thing that brings joy. In joining with Mary in this adoration, we too enjoy him and enjoy being in his presence. I don't know how you may start your prayer time currently, whether um, that is in a position of adoration. Maybe uh, in future you might like to uh, enter this posture of praise through reading one of the Psalms. Maybe singing a hymn to glorify God or playing a piece of worship music in the background. But if you don't already start your time of prayer, uh, your regular time of prayer with praise to God for his own sake, I really encourage you to do that. See the difference that this makes to your boldness in your prayers and the ways in which your prayers are met. So adoration is all about God. What then about us if we're to place ourselves in a good posture from which to pray just as it's important to declare how far above us God is it's equally important for us to acknowledge how far we fall short of his plans for each one of us individually and collectively Daniel, serving in the Babylonian court in our first reading, Daniel realises from his reading of the scriptures just how long it's going to be that the people of Israel will be kept in exile, away from the promised land, away from their holy city of Jerusalem. And he is distraught. He's absolutely bereft. In verse 3, we see that he comes in penance before God. He fasts, he wears sackcloth and ashes, which uh, at that time was a sign of repentance. Daniel is desperate that God restores his people to the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. 
Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, he prays. But he only prays that after he has confessed and he's asked for the Lord's forgiveness. Daniel's not only confessing his own sins to the Lord, but he confesses on behalf of all the people of Israel. Lord, we have sinned and done wrong, he declares. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. The whole nation has done wrong repeatedly and in so many different ways. As Daniel goes on to set out, um, detailing the various things that the kings have done, the people have done, the priests have done. So many ways in which they've fallen short of God's plans for them and turned away from him. Daniel knows that if he's to ask something of such consequence from God as to take his people back to their land. Something so much on his heart but that's also uh, in human terms so vast an undertaking. That he has to acknowledge before God that the whole nation of Israel has um, done wrong over many generations and to ask for his forgiveness for all these wrongs that have been done. He has to, uh, if you like, clear the channel of communication between him and the people of Israel and God. But we can see too, actually, that Daniel intersperses his confessions, this this multiple series of confessions, also with praises to the Lord for who he is. He knits his, his adoration and his confession together in this one prayer. Lord, you are righteous, he declares. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Daniel declares who the Lord is and the great things that he has done. God's forgiveness is costly. The price of his forgiveness ultimately for us all is his own son dying on the cross. If we are to petition him that he might intervene and he might answer our prayers... Surely it's only right that because of that sacrifice he has made for us, we therefore ask for forgiveness for all that we've done. Detailing it before him like Daniel did, going into, um, into, um, into the specifics of what it is we have done rather than just the general. Only in that way can we really uh, articulate and be forgiven for what it is we have done. Surely it's right that we therefore first ask for his forgiveness for all that we've done. To create a relationship between us and the Lord that is, despite all the good that we may do, still so far from right. Still so far from right that we continue to need his love and his grace and his forgiveness. So I hope after this introduction and this um, overview of 
adoration and confession. You're now ready, or at least you will be in time for next Sunday, uh, for Lee and uh, his sharing with us about perhaps what we might think of uh, as more uh, bread and butter types of prayer. Uh, Thanksgiving and intercession for others uh, and petition. We know that if we're able to come before God in prayer, to be in relationship with him, and both allow him to shape who we are and have him act in the world as we entreat him to do, we know that our posture towards him must reflect his glory and our need for his forgiveness. It's my prayer that in doing just that, in being in that posture of adoration and of confession before God, it's my prayer that both individually and as a church family of St. Giles, we'll grow in the frequency and the boldness and the expectancy of our prayers. And that we'll see God move in our lives and in our community as well in an amazing and exciting new way. Enabling as we pray in the prayer that our Saviour taught us, his kingdom to come. That's my prayer. (coughs) Will you join me? in that prayer too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to take a brief moment of quiet now to uh, reflect individually on adoration and on confession. Perhaps silently to, uh, to pray uh, in our heart's words of praise to the Lord or perhaps to set ourselves up uh, to pray uh, to come to communion as well in a good posture before him confessing where we haven't followed in his ways let's all bow our heads in that quiet prayer for a few moments